Hey friend, welcome back to She Speaks Life. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm hoping that you receive my newsletter each week with updates and special resources from the guests on the podcast. And if you don't, all you gotta do is hit the link in the show notes here on this podcast. It goes right to my website or you can go to jamieelizabeth.com and let's connect. And in return, you'll receive a free download right away of God's ID, my ID, which gives you a rundown of God's characteristics and how they apply to our lives. So today I am so thrilled to give you my conversation with author Susie Larson. We talk about her book, Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail, which is about gaining victory in our hardships and overcoming the obstacles we face in life. You know, the spiritual battle, my friends, is real. And with this conversation from Susie, you'll receive some powerful tools to stand strong in your faith, knowing that you're going to see God move in his time and in his way. This conversation is so powerful. So let's dive into my conversation with Susie. Hey, Susie. Welcome to She Speaks Life. I'm so glad you're here. So honored to be with you, Jamie. You're a fast friend. I just We've just been chatting for a few <laughs> minutes, and I feel like I've known you forever. So good to be with you. I know. This is great. Well, before we dive into your amazing book and story, I love to kick us off with a favorite scripture verse. Do you have one and why? Yeah. And I pray that I'm not coloring outside the lines by saying it's actually a chapter. It's my, my, <laughs> I know. It's yeah, okay. my go-to chapter is Psalm 18 because first of all, it's part of my story. It's sort of my life script. They say if you have a passage or even a verse or a story that you go back to again and again, it really is part of your life script as far as the story God's writing with your life is he's really bringing to life the passages that you're reading and resonating with. Psalm 18 is that for me because of some places and points in my story where, you know, like the psalmist, I cried out to God because the enemy confronted me at a moment when I was weakest. And so I cried out to God and my cry reached his ears. And from on high, he moved heaven and earth to reach down and grab a hold of me, rescue me from an enemy who's too strong for me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And, you know, and then, and then he restores me. And if you look at the progression of Psalm 18, then it goes to this place. Once he kind of gets you out of that place and, and gets you kind of recovering from the trauma of the battle, he puts a new song in your heart. He strengthens your arms to bend a bow of bronze. He strengthens your hands for battle. And the Bible even says in Psalm 18 that he helps, he gives you feet like a deer to walk on high places. And what that speaks of is spiritual agility. You know, when you're training as an athlete, you know, it's one thing to have cardio endurance and anaerobic endurance where you, you can do short or long spurts of cardio, but agility is a whole different thing where that's why you see football players deking right, deking left, forward and back, and they're able to change and still keep their footing and still have wind in their in the breath in their lungs. Well, spiritual agility is being able to stand on high, uneven terrain, have the arrows flying at you from every which way, and you're still standing because you've, you know, God has allowed you to be trained and not the best circumstances where you've got this thing coming at you from here and this thing coming at you from here. And as you keep your wits about you, remember that God is for you. Suddenly you're able to navigate uh, um, un, you know, 
un, what imperfect, you know, circumstances in a victorious sort of way. So it, yeah. what's so amazing, if you look at the progression toward the end of the chapter, at the first part, you're being confronted and pummeled by your enemy. At the end of the chapter, you're chasing him down and putting him under your feet until he's defeated. So that to me is the story of the, of the saint. You know, he rescues us when we're weak. He chooses the weak to shame the strong the things that are not to nullify the things that are. He puts a song in our heart. He makes warriors out of us so that we're not intimidated by the enemy. Uh, and I just think, you know, our battles don't have to be wasted on us. And I think that Psalm really illustrates it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. You're speaking my language because I had two sons in football. So okay, I know exactly there you go. You know what I'm talking about. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And, you know, you went through that well. I mean, you've experienced that passage and your book is so amazing. I was able to begin reading it uh, while I was down at the nearest beach here in Texas and celebrating my mother-in-law's 80th birthday and your book called Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. And, you know, it's just understanding how the enemy attacks and, and, how um, you give us this clarity on how to fight the battles. And it just covers these practical tools to apply truth and gaining victory in our hardships and is so meaty. It's so rich. There's so much in here and I just absolutely love it. So I want to kick us off with just the opening of your book because it really sets the tone uh, with the, your story. So you open the book with a story about a time you experienced what you call a trauma fear. So can you share that story and give us an explanation of what happened? I'm really glad you asked that question because it really does frame, I think, the rest of the book because the enemy's, uh, you know, his two favorite weapons are fear and intimidation. And, and, you know, there are a lot of Christians running hard away because he's roared and he's intimidated. And so this particular story happened many years ago. I want to say 20, and I'm trying to think of how old my son is now, no, maybe about 15 years ago, I was at a out of state at a writer's conference, staying uh, at a friend's house in, in the basement of her beautiful home, but it was dark down there. And I and the, woke up in a dead sweat. I was just sweat sweating. I was trauma fear. I mean, I felt sure that my son would not make it out of his 20s. He was in his early 20s at the time, and I, I knew he was going to die. And so I rolled out onto the floor. I'm crying out to God, begging, interceding, going, put angels around. I don't know what's going on, but it was just this impending sense of doom. I prayed all night long, Jamie. When I woke up or I got up the next morning, I wasn't it you know, in a place of peace. I wasn't resolved. I wasn't in a place of faith. I was wrung out, battered and beat up. And what I call that a trauma fear is because what I realized is that a few weeks prior, I had opened the door to fear because that son of mine, that dear, sweet, darling boy of mine was wandering in the ways of the world. And I started to entertain my what if questions. And it was like the enemy was dropping some seeds of doubt and fear. And I didn't ruthlessly um, uproot them. I pondered them. I, I acquiesced a little bit going, wow, yeah, what if, what if? And, you know, we raised him to love Jesus and to be passionate about the gospel and you know, I was just in shock that he was wandering and kind of more identifying with some of his football player friends and, and wanting to party. And, and so I didn't deal with that fear. So the thing is, the enemy is a legalist. If you open the door, he will take it and he will come through that door at the most inopportune time. And so often it's when you're already being battered physically or you're not sleeping or you've had a conflict at work. He waits to go in for the kill to blindside you. Where A trauma fear is screaming at you. You can't trust God. And the thing is, what, what happens is the enemy 
tries to build a case in your heart against God. And I say throughout the book, every day we're given the choice to either trust God or or uh, accuse him. You know, every day we can either trust him or accuse him because the enemy is constantly building a case against him. And when you get to this place where you're not resolving your fears with the love of God, the faithfulness of God, and you let them linger in your soul, there's a time coming when all of a sudden the enemy is going to hit you with a trauma fear and he'll try to get you to project your worst case fears into a future that God's not in. And you, that's where you get unbelievably traumatized because you try to imagine the worst. If God's let this much happen to me, you know, how much worse is going to happen? And you you start to live like you're bracing for impact. But if you're a believer, no such scenario exists. There is no future moment that God is not in. Now that is so different than a God-given warning. And God's woke me up in the middle of the night in those moments, but it was sober. There was peace. There was clarity. It gave me a sense that uh, we're one step ahead of the enemy. He's given me a heads up about something to pray and intercede. But in those places, it's peace. So trauma fears, you can't trust God. God-given warnings is you must trust God. And this is why it's so important that in our battles, before we go into the battle, and if we haven't done it then, while we're in the battle and when we're coming out of the battle, we have to resolve that God is good. His faithful love endures through every generation. His love has endured in in past generations, his love is enduring in this generation. His love is going to endure in our children's generation. His love endures forever. And we that cannot be up for grabs because we, we bring on so much unnecessary collateral damage when we let certain things be up for grabs when we're in the storms of our lives. Yeah. And I can't help but think of, you know, when you were talking about the difference between a spiritual warning and a trauma fear. And I've had a couple of spiritual warnings myself, and it always came with an encouragement, a preparation, yes, exactly. like prepare, this is coming. Mm -hmm. And that trauma fear, you're not getting, oh, prepare. It's mm -hmm. the, oh, what if, and it's a destruction, right? Yeah, or exactly. yeah, something mm -hmm. that's not good. So, mm -hmm. um, so good. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So uh, in your book, you talked about that what may have worked in our past battles may not necessarily work in our today's battles. So could you maybe expand on that a little more? Yeah, I really want to clarify that. I do mention that the point being that we can't phone it in. There's no, this is not a time for autopilot. We've not been in this place before. And I really feel like I actually wrote this in my journal a decade ago. I said, I feel like we've crossed over into a time of acceleration that we're going to start mm -hmm. to see things speed mm -hmm. up. I really believe that was true then. It's even more true now. Just read, you know, read the news, look out your window. Things yeah. are in a pace of acceleration. So in that regard, you know, just because you know, I've done that before, I'm going to do that now. I've got my one verse or whatever. This is yeah. a time to up our game. But that is not to say your past battles haven't prepared you for this battle. It's really important that you're not throwing out the things you've learned from past battles. I mean, you think of David, when he faced off Goliath, he referred to his past battles with the lion and the bear. And the things you've walked through in the past have prepared you to stand where you are now. But my point in making that point is there's no phoning it in, no autopilot. I've been here before because the enemy wants to lull us into a false sense of security. Again, this isn't a time to be bracing for impact or walking on eggshells or living in fear, but it is a time to be sober and alert, dependent on God with an ear bent towards heaven going, these are tumultuous times. There are landmines everywhere. I want to finish strong. God, let me hear your voice and let me put my feet where you're telling me to. Just a deeper dependence on God. And he, he will use your past battles and he will use current wisdom to help you navigate what you're facing today.
Mm, so true. And I know the enemy shoots for those unhealed places in our lives. What can we do as believers? I know you say a lot in your book about what we can do when we're easily triggered or we feel like we're continu- continually under fire. Hmm. Uh, what is some wisdom that you can share on that? Well, you know, things are being shaken right now, as scripture says, so that that which cannot be shaken can be clearly seen. And I say leverage this shaking for all it's worth, because whatever it triggers in you and it brings up in you, deal with it. Because the the two extremes that are happening, Jamie, right now are people getting mad that they're triggered and they're shaking their fist at the darkness or they're entertaining themselves to death and numbing out on their favorite binge because they don't want to deal with where things are at right now. But our pastor, he's retired now, he's a dear friend, but he always said, when you're triggered, and things are stirred up and they come to the surface, don't shove them back down again. It's like the Holy Spirit is reaching in your soul, pulling that thing out and saying, you see this? I'm about to deliver you from this. So my advice is when you're triggered, seek out a spiritual director, a counselor, a prayer minister, a pastor, and go after it. I can't even tell you, Jamie, the stuff I've been going after that's been coming up for me just because of the long battle that it's been. And I had a pretty significant relapse about seven years ago that has been up and down and twists and turns. That It's just been brutal, actually, been really hard. And there's times where I felt so disappointed in God and so hurt that at my age that he's let this battle linger on as long as it has. And, you know, as a public person, you get people's opinions. I get a lot of kind encouragement and compassion. So that's mostly what I receive. But I do get an email. You being a leader at your level and you're still not healed, where's your faith? You know, people Mm. love to say things like that. And I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I fasted, prayed it, say, claimed it, whatever. But the thing is, our delays do bring up the stuff that's in our soul. And as I've gone after that, God has been so kind to just unearth some of the wound, the trauma, the loss, the disappointment to bring a deeper truth. So I say all this shaking is really amazing opportunity uh, to, to bring healing to you. And I, I think I said this in the book. I know I said this in the book that God will often allow an overplayed enemy attack to position you for freedom. He'll say, you know, she's she's today where she wasn't here before, but she's here now. She's ready for this. And you may feel blindsided by the battle, but God has the enemy on a short leash. He's going to get you through and you're going to come through stronger, not weaker. And so I just say leverage the shaking and pay attention to what it's stirring up in you and then go after your healing. And if you want a book on um, inner healing, my book prior to this, Fully Alive, Learning to Flourish Mind, Body, and Spirit is all about that. It's all about the physiological impacts of shame, fear, worry, insecurity, and because what happens in our soul happens in our cells. And so I'd say pursue healing and then pray for a miracle. Go after it because every single person listening to the sound of our voices has trauma of some kind, has loss of some kind, and God wants to heal it. He is a healer. You follow Jesus, you're following a healer. So I'd say take some of your process and story, take all of it seriously and take it before the Lord and seek out the kind of healing that you need. Mm, Yeah. Amen to that. Okay. Let's talk about your biblical characters that you had written uh, in your book, uh, uh, Naomi, Jonah, and Esther, and giving us some examples of the reasons for their battles. Mm -hmm. You know, so you look at Naomi, her husband, you know, he he took his family outside the boundaries of Bethlehem. He was, you know, this was a family of God living amongst the people of God. And Bethlehem means house of bread. And yet they were out of bread. And if he would have been kept himself in the bigger story and said, this isn't just about my family, uh, your people, God, are hungry. 
We're, there's a famine in the land. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Have we missed it? Is there a national repentance that needs to happen? Can I step in and intercede on behalf of my people so that not only my family's fed, but my nation is restored? He didn't do that. He led his family to Moab, and there's no biblical, you know, implication that says God led that. That you know, he led his family to a place that were dire enemies of the Jews. They sacrificed their children to the gods. They practiced open immorality. And one scholar said that eliminate traded one famine for three funerals because he in due time died and then his sons in due time died. And Naomi was thrust into a storm uh, because her husband led the family. I don't know how much of a say she had, likely not much, but she was thrust into a storm because this man did not seek God. And I say, when you abdicate your responsibilities as, as someone who belongs to God, many people pay a price. So here she's in the storm and God has stretched out his hand against me. And you see it, she accuses God. When really it was it was her husband who led her into this foreign land, into the situation. But God already had a plan to redeem it. He brings her back with Ruth, grafts Ruth into the lineage of Christ. It's such a miraculous story. And it should tell us that even if we find ourselves in a story, in a storm, that's someone else's fault, you can blame them all day long. You can blame God all day long. Or you can say, God, even here, you can redeem this. And he can redeem it. And then you got Jonah, who himself was running away from the call of God. And he's in this boat. And these sailors pay a price because they come upon a storm that was an absolute result of his disobedience. And he's like, throw me over. So, you know, the story, he gets swallowed by a whale, gets spit up, and he gets a chance to go back and redeem it. But then again, when we're running from God's purposes, many people pay a price and we run ourselves right into a storm. Well, then you got Esther. She finds herself in a storm with the annihilation of all the Jewish people. And here she's a queen and she's got to reveal her identity. But because of her willingness to fast and pray and seek wisdom and then lay her life down, really risk her life, many people were saved. So there's times we're in storms that are not our fault, but they're a culmination of our life's calling. And I will tell you, Jamie, my first line of defense always when I'm in a storm is to pray once Psalm 139, search me, O God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in your everlasting way. And that's not to say every storm you are landing in is your fault, but we have to look at our hearts first because sometimes we give the enemy access. We're not even realizing that we are. So I think the first line of defense is, is there anything in me, God, that opened the door to this battle? And if I could just say yeah. one more thing about that, and interrupt me if you need to, but- uh, No, you're good. Uh, James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I so often hear that verse quoted out of context where people say, well, if you're getting battered, just resist the devil and he'll flee. But that's not true. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit to God is a military term, and it means to get back in rank. So in other words, Watchman Nee wrote this many years ago, you can't have authority unless you're under authority. So if you've gotten out of rank Jesus is our king. He's the commander of the armies. You know, he's the God of all gods and the general of all generals. How do you get out of rank? Well, you usurp authority. You hold a grudge. You gossip. You you have a duplicit life where you say one thing and do another. You have a bunch of secret sin that you're indulging in. Or maybe you're just harboring bitterness and you're not dealing with it. All of those things are open doors. And suddenly you've been disempowered. You're out of rank and the devil knows it. He's had your whole life to study you. That's why I say this should always be your first line of defense. Is there anything in me that has given the enemy a, an open door? So once you repent and humble yourself, 
then you get back in rank. Like my friend Maria says, first ask the Lord, is there anything in me? And if he shows you, repent. And then she says, and then roar. And if he doesn't show you anything, just roar. So you submit to God, you get back into rank. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee. And it means a couple of things. It means he will run for his life to look for a safe place to dwell. And he will. it means he will run for his life and he will look for a safe place to dwell. So if you were to like peel back the sky and see to the supernatural realm, in some instances, you'd see Christians running for their lives because the enemy's roaring his intimidation and they don't know what they have in their spiritual weapons, right? But in other instances, you would see Christians stomping their foot, raising their shield, going not today and not tomorrow either, and the enemy running and looking for a safe place to dwell. So we can stop him. God has given us authority over the power of the enemy, but it always starts with, did we give him legal access to begin with? That is so good. And I mean, just so impactful, everything. Um, I love, I got to add this quote that you wrote in your book. You said, how do we know if our battles have served us well? We will emerge from the leaning on the arm of our beloved. And when I read that, I was just like, this is so beautiful. We will emerge, you know, from leaning onto God. That's when we know that uh, these battles have served us well. And I think so often we hear um, that we are either, you know, walking in a battle we're walking through a battle or we're walking out of a battle. And so let's talk a little bit of walking out of the battle when God gives us this rest. And I believe this was in your book where you gave the analogy of uh, being in battle and being on the front line. And then when you're done with fighting on the front line, then it's like the soldiers go back to get a meal and to rest. And um, the whole picture of that, the whole analogy of that was just so good. So uh, what do you suggest that when God brings us to that place of rest, um, it, it's time to take inventory? What are some questions we should ask ourselves on the other side of the battle when God gives us that moment to rest? I'm so glad you asked about this because this feels like a really important point in the book because I think yeah. oftentimes when we are battered by the battle, but the, the storm has settled down, we're so weakened and we're so tired so often, we go to self-indulgence to treat ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with a bowl of ice cream, but when there's a mindset that the world owes me, God owes me, everybody owes me, that's when you are subject really to falling into sin, to really destroying the gains you made in the battle. And it's a time for sobriety. So I offer seven questions of inventory. I think it's seven questions that I strongly suggest. If you're coming out of a battle, give yourself a few hours on a Saturday with a journal and a cup of coffee or whatever. And I'll just walk through them. The first one is, what do I know about God now that I didn't know before this trial? And often at the end of my show, I ask, what do you know about God now? You didn't know even five years ago, but just to pause and go, what do I know about him now? That answer is really, really important. Second is, how has this battle impacted my theology? Now, this is a really important one because it it's helps you to discern, are there lingering disappointments with God or others or, unoffenses, or uh, unresolved offenses, unresolved pain, unhealthy indulgences? Because if you're honest, oftentimes when the battle goes long, you find your indulgences to numb your pain, to ways of coping. So just ha have I dropped my theology? Have I lowered my expectation of God? Am I more disappointed in God? 
then I am expectant of his goodness. Because if that's true, there's no shame or condemnation. It's information that I need to maybe see a counselor and I need to get back to a place where I really do believe God is good because he wants to restore your soul. Thirdly, is how has my battle impacted my perspective of others? Am I jaded? Am I cynical? Am I impatient with those who suffer in lesser ways than I do? So some will come out of a battle and they're so jaded that when they see someone with a lesser battle, they roll their eyes and go, that's nothing after what I've been through. And what the goal is, is to be so tenderized by the, the compassion of Jesus uh, that we, we could shed a tear for anybody who suffers in any way, because it was Jesus' compassion that always compelled him to movement. And that really is the goal. If you're fresh off the battlefield and you feel um, judgmental and critical of those who suffer in lesser ways. No condemnation, but it just shows that your healing process is in the beginning stages and there's more healing to do. So if you don't deal with that, that in itself, that attitude will lead you astray. So just bring it before the Lord to say, I want to come all the way through this. So I come through with the compassion of Jesus. And then here's another one. What biblical truths did I forget that I need to remember? Like I got so battered, I lost sight of things that I want to, you know, tattoo on my wrist or whatever. I want to memorize in my heart. What are some truths that I forgot that I want to remember? And then what are some truths that the Lord brought to mind that I don't want to forget? If you could spend some time writing down those verses, maybe memorizing them, writing them in prayer form, you'll just own them. And I just the word of God is living and active. And I think that's just wise post-battle practice, right? Uh, what were the defining moments of my battle when the storm raged and God met me there? This to me is the, the critical question of these seven questions, because this is your story. This is your song. When the battle raged and God intersected, like I mentioned in Psalm 18, where he reached down from on high, he took hold of you, rescued from an enemy that was too big for you. He rescued you at the moment you were weakest. He put a song in your heart. He established you. What was that moment? That's your testimony. So I want you to circle back to that. I want you to think about, you know, what, really what happened. Remember the moment. Write it down, because it really is a testimony. And to the degree Agree that you uh, articulate that and steward that message. Will God open more doors for you to testify? And we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we love not our lives even unto death. And again, I often hear people leave off that third one because it sounds so scary. But loving not our life is laying our lives down for the kingdom. Some people love their lives so much there's no way they're going to testify to other people about what Jesus has done. But when you get to the point where you're more identified as a Christ follower, you follow a good king. He is returning again. And there's there's not only no shame in that, there's holy confidence in it. It's like, I don't care what people think of me. Nobody has loved me like Jesus. Nobody had the power to rescue me from an enemy like Jesus. He's coming. He knows my name. I've got the power of his spirit alive in me. His promise is written over me. Let me tell you what he has done. When you don't care what people think about you anymore, there's a new anointing and a power that comes on your life that makes even the devil tremble. So I feel like take some time to just search the Lord, search your heart, say, Lord, show me that point in my story that was the turning point, and then start to write it down and craft your testimony and just start to share it and see what God does. I, I love that. Uh, number number six is what in me still needs healing? And you know, I, I just had a therapy session this morning because I'm still sorting through some of the, it, it's just been tough. I'll be honest with you. Some of the worst surges, neurological surges were happening in the middle of the night and they were terrifying. And I've come through it so much, but there's still this underlying, because of the numbing that I still deal with, there's times where that can go, oh, oh is that gonna go somewhere? And I wanna sort through it. I wanna steward every bit of my story with as much health and wholeness as I can. So I just put myself out there to say, everybody needs healing of some kind. So dare to ask yourself, what in me 
still needs healing. And ask the Lord to provide the right people to help you get there. And finally, how am I better because of this battle? Because if you've stewarded your battle, and my goal with the book really is if you've, you know, blown it in past battles and just kind of, you know, to kind of devolve to drinking and all kinds of things to sort of numb out and get through it. And then you come through it with so much shame. God wants to forgive you. He wants to replenish you. But what I want is for you to be so equipped that you really minimize the collateral damage on your next battle. You're not, um, your identity's not for, up for grabs anymore. God's goodness is not up for grabs. You, in a more fierce way, know how to stand and hold your ground. The enemy has less access to you, less ability to intimidate you. So when it's all said and done, you are still standing. That is my hope in my prayer. So even if you had a battle where you fell down everywhere, there must have been a takeaway for you. There had to have been some redeemable quality of that battle where you can say, well, God still loves me. I'm still here. Devil didn't win. I'm still standing. Well, that's the takeaway. So identify it, write it down. But I really believe what Psalm 18 says is he wants to make you skilled in battle. And there are just practical ways to learn that as we really learn the truths of scripture, trust in God's love, and know that the enemy is doesn't have open access unless we give it to him. Our battles are tempered to the degree that they can make us more like Christ and that we can emerge leaning on the arm of our beloved going, I love you more coming out of this battle than I did going in. I know you more. I know your word more. I'm wiser to the enemy's schemes and I'm more confident in your love. That's really, that's really the goal. Mm. Love it. Amen to all of that. You know, brought up this uh, point and, you know, some of us, we want the abundance without going through that consecration and holiness. And we just can't have that. Like we can't skip that step. And so when you're speaking, it was, you know, all the things I'm asking God, where is that healing that I need so that the enemy doesn't have any kind of cracks, you know, and um, just living that life where you're like you were saying, laying down your your life for God, you know, not going after our fleshly desires, but going after what God's will will and way is for our lives. And so in return, then we get that, you know, abundant living, but we need to walk through that obedience and that consecrated holiness. And so, and also to respond to your comparing hardships, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've seen that where, mm -hmm. where people, women are comparing hardships. And I'm like, you know, that is, and especially on this podcast, we've got a ton of different degrees of hardships depending on you know your perspective and how you look at it but they are all the same in god's eyes they're all the same it's such so, an important point jamie if i could just add one piece to that you know, when i talk about healing from your trauma or your hardships you also don't want to compare and minimize yours because someone else's is so much worse because you really don't know why even let's say you have a, a lesser compared to the your best friend but and you're not sure why is that hitting me so hard well so often that is an accumulation of reminiscent past trials it's sort of this it's landing on you in a heavier way because there's some unresolved pain of past things and and so to compare your pain to someone else's in a way that diminishes yours will never help you heal you know you heal by owning it and admitting it and inviting jesus into the center of it so comparing pain comparing hardship is not good ever 
And you can find someone who maybe had someone look at them the wrong way and it ruins their day. Well, there's no shame in that. It's just information. Okay, what was that about? What was that reminiscent of? And I would tell you, I believe God is on a wave of healing right now. And I believe a way, a greater wave is coming to the body of Christ because we have a traumatized world. They don't know what to do with their pain. And so God is allowing a lot of his children to be stirred up right now so that they can be delivered and restored and healed. But he needs our permission. We either give him access and say, heal me, reveal yourself to me, or we numb out and we shove it down back into the basement. I say, lean in and take him up on the offer to lead you on the path of healing because he's a good God and a good shepherd. Yes. So true. Okay. You talked about a vivid dream that you had that ignited your faith. Mm -hmm. Will you share that with us? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, as someone who's really struggled for many, many years with uh, insomnia, it's been related to Lyme disease stuff, but it's been excruciating. You know, that's been part of the night thing that's been so tricky for me. When I have dreams, you know, vivid dreams, it's interesting just because that's been a rarity. But many years ago, Kevin, my hubby and I started asking the Lord, speak to us in our dreams. It's biblical. We see it in the Bible. Would you do that? And God does that for my husband more than, uh, than me. But it was a couple of years ago, you know, I have a sense of justice. I'm an intercessor at heart. I'm an introvert at heart. So I, I love, I could be a monk. I love alone time. I love solitude. And I spend a lot of time praying and I carry things. When I see things in the news, I, I feel it so deeply. And a couple of years ago, I was just despairing that truth has been thrown to the ground. And scripture says that I think in Daniel and one other place where people, you know, they may hear the truth. They don't care. They throw it to the ground. And I'd seen a news report about something that had happened that was really corrupt and horrible, but they were doing these man on the street interviews going, well, we have evidence right here. Do, do you care? No, I don't really care. Yeah, I don't care. And like if people, there was not one person who cared. It just was like, whatever, you know? And it just was like, Lord, we live in a post-truth culture. Like how are we supposed to, how is the truth going to set people free if we're redefining what truth actually is, Lord? And I was so burdened and I was really under it. And I went to bed that way and praying. I had this vivid dream. And in the dream, I'm standing in this, it was the size of a football field, but it was piles of rubble. And it was like chunks of building, like halls of power, like they were giant chunks of building, but you could see pillars. You could tell it was halls of power. And it really covered the, the you know, the spans of a big football field. And I was up to my knees and the sun was just warm on my face. And I had this awe look and I'm like, no way did that just happen and i mean you know it was and then off to the left was this like heavenly city in the dream it was like had purples and yellows and oranges and it kind of this hue over this a true city that could not be shaken and i, I would look over my shoulder and every 20 feet or 20 yards or whatever you know there was another person standing in the rubble up to their knees with that same awestruck look like we were happy we were in awe so i was in the dream but i was also watching the dream as if it was kind of a sky view and i knew in in the dream, we were all intercessors, and I knew in the dream that these these piles of rubble were uh, halls of, of corruption, infrastructures of corruption. And so the intercessors had prayed down the infrastructures of corruption. And I woke up with so much fire in my, I'm telling you, I just had this faith. And, and then I stumbled upon Isaiah 25. If you get a chance, if you're listening to this after the podcast over, go to Isaiah 25. It talks about the nations that are in rubble and that how God, God's people say, you delivered us. We trusted you. Look what you did. And they're absolutely in awe. It really illustrates just what that dream felt like for me. 
But what happened for me, Jamie, it was just like, nobody can ever tell me that wasn't from God because I couldn't have dreamt that up on my own. But I went to bed discouraged and depressed and I woke up with an 100% assurance. God misses nothing. He's indifferent about nothing. And one day he's going to make it all right. He sees it all. He's going to deliver us. But my prayers matter. My intercession matters. My holiness before him matters because those who fear the Lord and shun evil, you know, he listens to the prayers of our mouth. He heals and strengthens us and gives us more discernment. So he confides in those who fear him. So that just helped me to say, keep your place on the wall, keep interceding, keep walking intimately with God. He's going to do the heavy lifting and he's going to awe. He's going to keep us all in awe when it's all said and done. Wow. That's encouraging us that's listening because, you know, sometimes we're praying and we're like, is it even, does it even matter? Like mm -hmm. I, you know, cause we're looking around, but you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. And, um, and believe that the there is power in our prayers and it will prevail. So, and I, I love how you just asked God to give you dreams. Um, mm -hmm. I had a similar experience and I was like, wow, I'm like hearing everybody with these radical dreams. Well, God, I want to exactly. have a great dream. <laughs> and I kid you not, I mean, within three days, he gave me one and you wow. just know it's from him. Like mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. woke right up started writing it down because I didn't want to forget. And mm -hmm. then later on, I was able to look it up in scripture and get the whole revelation and the whole picture of what he was trying to teach me. It's so, a biblical concept. It's not just for one denomination in the body of no, Christ. It's actually yeah. a biblical concept. And mm -hmm. I want everything God has. And I, yeah. especially as someone who's battled in the night hours, I want God to reclaim that territory. And yeah. the few dreams that I've had that have been so vivid, I, I they changed my perspective and oh, made yeah. my faith stronger. So people can yeah. think what they want. I'm like, give it to me, Lord. I want to hear from you night and day. So <laughs> I know yeah. me too, because it does, it changes you and you know, it's from him. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'd love to end with a takeaway. Is there something you can leave the listener, uh, something she can ponder on or take action in? I know your whole thing was so rich. I loved it. It's been so great. So uh, my friend Maria, you know, uh, said this to me about a year ago, and it's really been healing to me. She said, unless your default response when you think about God is that only goodness and mercy follow after you, if that's not your default response, that when I think of God, I think of his goodness and mercy following after me, she said, then that shows that something in you needs to be healed and something in your thinking is out of alignment. And I would say that's true for most Christians right now, Jamie, because from my polling of people on my show and, and the Facebook lives and the different things I do, many, many people are living bracing for impact. They're waiting for the next shoe to drop. But you know, instead of living that way, if you can continue to ponder the love of God, ponder the ways he really has come through for you, and let that be your goal to get to the place. And I know it requires trust when you, he's allowed certain things to happen in your life. He is good. He sees the big picture. He's going to redeem all things but the sooner now in the land of the living you can get to that mindset the sooner you'll see that he's restoring your soul so that would be my prayer that that requires our cooperation where we focus how we meditate on the on the love of god but just ask the lord to help you get there because it'll put your body at rest your heart at rest and physiologically speaking it's not good for us to live bracing for impact it's much more healing for us to rest in his love and that's that's the goal Beautiful, Susie. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story and this amazing book here. And uh, where can people reach you and connect with you and 
you are a radio host for Faith Talk. I think it's called there. MyFaithRadio.com. Um, yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's, you could go to all, any podcast player and search for my name and you would find my show because once my live radio show is over, it goes to podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, we have amazing, amazing guests. So um, you can check that out. I'm, I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. If I do lives, they're more often on Facebook. Uh, my website, SusieLarson.com. Again, thanks for coming on here. I know we are well equipped and empowered, and this just uh, gave us even more of an opportunity to go out there and fight our battles in victory. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Great to be with you. Nice to meet you, Jamie. Thank you so much for listening today, and I trust that God has encouraged you through this story. Did you know this podcast is on YouTube? Hop on there and subscribe, and you can see a live recording of each episode. And for more information on this ministry and to access free downloads, please visit my website at jamieelizabeth.com. That's J-A-Y-M-E elizabeth.com. And let's connect beyond this podcast by going to my Instagram handle, Jamie Elizabeth, She Speaks Life, or Facebook. Until next time, my friend, I hope God reveals himself through your own life story.